this series leading second, you, you might be a little bit confused by the title because it almost sounds like a contradiction. What, what does that mean to, to lead second? Usually you think that leaders, leaders go first. And what I want you to know, the, the subject that we're going to cover over these next four weeks really is going to pick up where we left off in our last series. Because if, you, if you're here for the last series or, or maybe you knew, uh, we spent four weeks really going over some of the basics of knowing the Bible. Well, what we're going to do in this series, I, I want to help you understand one of the core parts of being a Christian. One of the core parts of being a Christian is to recognize that you're leading second. Now, let me set it up this way. You need to know I, I love leadership. I be believe in leadership. I think leadership matters. It's important. Just personally speaking, I read about four different leadership books a year. I listen to leadership podcasts. I believe one of the calls God has in my life is to help raise up more Christ-centered leaders. Leadership matters. That being said, I also think there is an unhealthy obsession in our particularly American culture with leadership. And the reason I say this, the, the, the reason it's a problem, again, leadership is not bad. I believe in leadership. God knows we need good leaders. We need leaders in government. We need leaders in our families. We, we need leaders in our businesses. We need good leaders in the church. Leadership is vital. I'm for it. But I feel like there is this unhealthy obsession in our American culture with leadership that has found its way into our Christian identity. To, what I mean is we, we almost present the idea that until you're leading something, you haven't really arrived. Uh, until you're at the point where you are making something happen and you've got influence, whether it's followers on social media or you've got the position after your name or you've got the goals that you set out to get, until you get to that point, you're failing. But you have got to get this, that for a Christian, our mindset should be very different, very different. And to set this up, I want to take you to a verse of scripture. This is the theme scripture for this series. So we'll look at it today and then we're going to look at another passage. But this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And if you're taking notes, you'll may know that last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and this is what he says. Follow me as I follow Christ. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, this is a good one. That's the whole verse. I didn't shorten it for you. The whole thing. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now notice, he doesn't say, Listen, Corinthians, I want you to lead like I lead. He doesn't say, I, I want you to lead in the way that Jesus taught. No, Paul says, Corinthians, Christians, church people, here's what you need to know. Follow like I follow. This is the proper understanding of how we are to live our lives as Christians. To be a Christian is to be a Christ follower. 
a follower. This is the fundamental role. And it's with that thought in mind, I want to give you the main point for my message. I'm going to give it to you up front so that if you tune me out for the rest of it, you'll at least know what I was talking about. I'll give you some other things to write down, but this is the main thing. To be a Christian means that I am following first and leading second. I am following first and leading second. So I'm calling this message, if you're taking notes, following first. And uh, I'll set this up for you as we kind of get into it. You know, th there's something within all of us that has a little bit of an aversion to following. Can we just be honest? I, I think it starts at a young age. I've got four children, three of them that I love. And, and uh, I'm not telling you which three, uh, but I have four children. And I've noticed from a young age, they all kind of have this resistance to following. I can see you judging me. Okay, you want to come be a parent at my house? It's, it's a challenge sometimes. You give them an instruction, they're resistant. If it's their idea, though, they're all about it. And I don't know where it starts. Even this week, it's just something in their psyche. Pippa, my youngest and my favorite, she, she came up to me. Uh, and out of the blue, she said the strangest thing. She said, Dad, I think we need to change the Pledge of Allegiance. And I was like, okay, getting very political at a young age, young lady. I don't know idea where this came from, and I've learned not to just delve into the psyche and mind of a child because you don't know where you're going to end up. But <laughs> I didn't ask where it came from. I just said, explain this to me, young one. And she said, I, I think we need to change the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I don't know why she thinks I have the authority to change it <laughs> or what I'm going to decree that we can change. I said, well, we were saying the Pledge of Allegiance at our school. And I was like, well, what is the part that you didn't like about the Pledge of Allegiance? She said, I don't like the fact that when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we say one nation under God. And I was like, oh, hold up. Is this a Christian school we're at? I said, what, what is it? I don't think we should say under God. I think we should say with God. Okay. So I try to explain to her, well, you understand, like the Pledge of Allegiance, like it's just what allegiance means and why we say it. And, you know, loyalty to a nation is a good thing. But I said, the reason it says under God is because even within that statement, what it's alluding to is, okay, there, there is a certain authority and a certain honor we give to a nation, but ultimate authority, ultimate honor rests with God. That was the point. Today, I don't like, it. I like with God better. <laughs> then I spanked her. So, joking. Um, my point is, even though she didn't really understand the verbiage, her viewpoint is reflective of many Christians that I meet. Here's what I mean. I want God's advantages. I don't want God's authority. I, I like it when God is with me, I don't want God to be over me. B 
Because all of us want to be the leader of our own lives. And if you can relate to that sentiment, understand I'm not here to condemn you. Reality is that is a temptation for every one of us as a Christ follower. Why? We've all got goals. We've all got dreams. We've all got ambitions. Those aren't bad things. Many of those are God-given things. We all have things, even if you're not Christ follower, like we, we all have things that we want to see happen in our lives. And when you partner that with the fact the general pitch of Christianity is follow Jesus and he'll make your life better, it's no wonder most of us have a hard time following first and leading second. Now, for the record, I do think that following Jesus makes your life better. It's not just what I think. Like, studies would back this up. It's been studied so much, this event, that they have a name for it. It's called the Christian lift. That what they found is people who place their faith in Christ, they have a lift in their life. How does it happen? Well, what happens is people, they place their faith in Christ. And when they do that, their passions begin to change. Their motivations begin to change. As their passions and motivations begin to change, well, the way they spend their money begins to change. They're not spending money on some of the things that they used to spend, spend it on. Not just that, but then they are connecting with a broad cross-section of people. They get better people skills. They start giving, start saving. They learn to uh, you know, clean themselves up a little bit. They get promoted, they get a better job. It's the Christian lift. Not just studies though, there's this guy, John Wesley. John Wesley was a revivalist preacher in the 1700s. He wrote a lot of journals and, and just chronicled his ministry. And he, many times he would, he would note this fact how he would preach the gospel to these godless English miners, not miners under the age, but like, my, you know, miners, pickaxe. And, uh, and he would preach the gospel and he would see a change in their life to where they were often poverty stricken. Well, as they got saved, they stopped spending their money on alcohol and gambling and prostitution. And they started giving and they started saving and their marriages remained intact. And over the course, you notice that many of them became quite wealthy because of a discipline that resulted from their conversion. It's the Christian lift. Well, the problem is, I'll put it this way, there's no doubt that a lift happens when you connect to Christ and you start coming to a church, it changes your life. The problem is that the lift has often become the focal point and Jesus has become the utility. And taken to the extreme, this is when you like run into people or kind of branches of Christianity where it's like, Okay, if I just, you know, believe enough and quote enough scripture and say the right things, I'm going to manifest this in my life and hit my dreams and make my goals happen and do all this stuff. Now, again, I'm all for believing God for big things and I'm all for quoting scripture. Those are good things. But what I want you to understand today is that when it comes to the Christian life, God hasn't asked you to be a believer. 
He's invited you to become a follower. The first thing you got to understand, God has not asked you to be a believer. He's invited you to become a follower. This is the very first thing Jesus says, by the way. When you read about the ministry of Jesus, he begins preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He says, repent, talk about that in a minute, for the kingdom of God, or some gospels say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And the very first thing we see him do is call his disciples. He doesn't tell them to believe in him, to believe his message. He says something different. He says, follow me. And I want to show you what I mean. Let's look at it together. It's in Mark chapter 1. I'll start in verse 16. It says, as Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Now, Simon, that's Peter. Has his name changed later? Peter's the guy. He's kind of like the famous disciple. He's the guy that's always talking, rushing ahead. He's kind of like the, the ringleader of the disciples. So it makes sense that he's the first one that Jesus called. He, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So even Jesus was so clever. He's like fishermen, fishers of men. Just he did that. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, many of the nets. These guys were partners. Immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. So these guys, Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And when he says follow, this isn't just like, hey, come along for the ride. It really is this word, I want you to be my disciple. Now that's interesting to me because when we talked about that Christian lift a minute earlier, you recognize that the lift in people's life came from their new disciplines, not their sudden deliverance. Now, it was a result of being saved, but it was the discipline in their life that changed. Discipline, I don't know about you, that's not a word that I'm just attracted to all that much. Maybe that's why my kids resist following, because they know there's going to be some discipline. But discipline, disciple. Discipline, disciple. Jesus says, follow me. I want you to be my Disciple, I want you to see me as master. I want you to obey my teachings. I want you to think like I think. I want you to do what I do. I want you to follow my pattern. See, to be leading second and following first means that we're a disciple. A disciple, someone who is a wholehearted, committed follower of Jesus and his teaching. Jesus says, follow me, learn my discipline, follow my methods. You could also call a disciple, this context, an apprentice, a pupil, a student, somebody who follows Jesus' teachings, somebody who models Jesus' patterns, some, someone who holds Jesus' perspective on morality on money, on the things that are mission critical, the things that matter. And see, we, we live in a culture where there's a lot of us, a lot of people 
that want a connection to Jesus. I want to be with God. Not under God, with God. And our connection to Jesus, we want on our terms. But what we learned in our last series, Bible Basics, that if the Jesus you have relationship with is the one on your terms, that's just the Jesus of your creation. That is the Jesus of your imagination. And the Jesus of your creation is not a Jesus that can help you because that Jesus cannot challenge you. That Jesus cannot change you. To follow Jesus is to follow the Jesus of the Bible. And sometimes what that means, following Jesus, it means that he is going to not just comfort you. He'll do that. Sometimes he'll confront you. Not, not just give you a conviction, but sometimes a contradiction. No, 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 don't do that. that that's what it means to, to follow Jesus. That's the Jesus that can help you. And if you just make it about your belief in Jesus, well, I believe, I'm a Christian, I believe. Well, you'll stop short of experiencing everything that God has for you. In fact, James, James wrote a letter and what he said, this is like one of the best Bible verses. Ready for it? James chapter two, verse 19. He says this, he says, hey, you believe in God? That's great. Bravo. Congratulations. So does the devil. So do the demons. You know what? Their belief, they even have a feeling about their belief. It's fear. It causes them to shake. It's a Pentecostal experience. Their belief. No, no, no. This is what he says. You, you believe great. Even the demons believe. James is a little harsher than I am when he writes. He says, you fool. Fool. When will you ever learn that believing, he has it in quotes, believing is useless without doing what God wants you to? I believe. I'm a Christian. Yet believing is useless if you're not doing what God wants you to if you're not being a follower. In other words, simply believing is not enough. Following Jesus means that not only have you placed your trust in him, but you're also in the process of being transformed by him. And that word process is important. It's not an overnight thing. It's a process. But it's not just have you trusted in Jesus. So are you allowing him to transform your heart, your mind, your motives? So when Jesus came and he, he said to these men, follow me, he wasn't inviting them to a service. He wasn't inviting them to an event. He was calling them to a brand new way of living. And what you notice is they left everything to do it. That's the second thing you need to know is that salvation is a free gift. It's free, doesn't cost you anything. But following Jesus, make no mistake about it. Following Jesus has a cost. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but when Jesus called the disciples, it says immediately 
they left behind, their boats and nets. Let me just look at it with you. It says, Peter and Andrew left their boats and nets. John and James left their family. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and went away to fall in. So what's interesting is these guys were already leaders. They were businessmen, business owners. They were in partnership together. They had other people around them. We know that from some other context right there. It says that James and John left their father and the hired men. So they had employees. These guys were leaders and they said, you know what? Leading is not the main thing for me. Following is more important. Their leaving mattered more to them than their leading. Leaving behind their position, leaving behind some things that were valuable, leaving behind some things that were even significant. This is actually a picture of repentance. Normally when we think about repentance, our mind goes to guilt or remorse. And remorse could be a sequence of repentance. But repentance in the Bible isn't just feeling remorse. Repentance has a very specific meaning. It means to turn, to change your thinking, but to turn. So when Jesus came, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What he was saying was change your thinking, turn, turn away from your sin, turn away from your selfishness, turn away from your self-centeredness and turn toward God, turn toward God's way, away from your way toward God's way. And these four men, they, they turned from the path they were on as, as fishermen and they turned toward a new path. And I hope you understand what Jesus was asking of them was extreme. Sometimes we can miss a little bit of that context because we think like, okay, well, I mean, they left their boats and they followed, but you have to understand they left behind their career and they left behind their family. Now in our modern context, Leaving behind your parents does not seem like that big a deal. It's like, right, we're supposed to grow up, go to college, you know, buy mom and dad, and we go off and do our own thing. We don't think too much about that. Our, what, you know, bucks the trend for us is when Jesus says, hey, I need to be more important than your career. That rubs us the wrong way because you know, in our individualistic, self-centered society, our career is our identity. Jesus is saying, I, I need to have your identity. But in ancient times, the identity was the family. Leaving mom and dad, forsaking my identity to follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. I need your identity to be a follower. Following first. It's funny because if you think, ah, I don't know that that's so extreme, Jesus got more extreme than this. Let me read you one of the times. In Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, some of you are like, hey, I'm there. I hate my mom and dad already. No, that's not what he's talking about. Brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. This is confusing because you're like, 
am I really supposed to hate people? No. Other places, Jesus says, you're not even allowed to hate your enemies. But what he's saying is, in comparison, not active hate, but in comparison, if following me doesn't look like hate, meaning if by comparison, if you're not willing to follow me so intensely, so supremely that it pales in comparison to your affection for things that we would normally and naturally be concerned about, you're not doing it right. There, there's another time where Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Well, what's he saying? The reality is none of us come into this world sanctified. All of us have some thought patterns. All of us have some desires. All of us have some motives within us, some patterns of thinking that do not glorify God. That's why we need to repent. That, that's, doesn't, I'm not singling you out. I'm saying everybody in this room, we all have some of those things about us that is on its own, not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. We repent, we turn toward Jesus, we become a follower. And here's what that means. It means he's the leader, I'm not. I'm leading second. I'm following first. If he's the leader and I'm not, what that means, how I think about money and how I handle money needs to be influenced by how Jesus thought about money, how he handled money. Well, how does he do? I mean, this is not just about giving and generosity. I mean, he said things like, where your treasure is there, your heart is also yet. But he also said, hey, if you're faithful in a little, specifically about money, you'll be able to be faithful with a lot. But you know what? If you're dishonest with a little bit, I know this is going to mess with people. If you're like, you know, just using your ex's Netflix code, <laughs> guess what? you'll probably be dishonest with some other things. I know, this means to be a follower. Listen to the nine o'clock, it's a lot nicer. Okay, how you think about sex, sexuality, relationships, gender, marriage, all of those things, we should ask ourselves, how did Jesus think about these things. Jesus said something about each one of those issues. Okay. Since I'm just like on a roll here, uh, how do you think about politics? Now understand, I'm not making a statement about Democrats or Republicans. I'm saying whatever views you hold, you need to be able to ask yourself, does this view honor Jesus? You have to have it submitted to the Lordship of Christ. That's what it means to be a follower. Not what do you think? Not how do you feel about it? Not what's popular in culture. What does it mean? How does holding this view relate to following Jesus? Because to be a follower is to place our lives under his authority. And 
Understand this. If there are any conditions to your obedience, any conditions to you following Jesus, then what's on the other side of that is your real master. Jesus will not be used. This is not a way to get what you want. If you're like, God, I'll follow you as long as. God, I'll follow you if. God, I'll follow, is this, this is how I think. God, I'll follow you, but I'm, this is a non-negotiable for me. No, following first, leading second. See, the opposite of recognizing that you're following first and leading second is something that I call Christian-ish. Christian-ish. Just say that so I know you're with me. Christian-ish. Yeah, Christian-ish. Christian-ish means I'm following God a little bit, but I've got some other places where I'm still the leader. It's where we have a version of faith where Jesus is on a leash, not Lord. And here's the problem. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Christian-ish, let me explain it to you. Christian-ish is where we see God's commands as suggestions, not instructions. Christian-ish is when we see the Bible as an asset, not authoritative. Christian-ish is where Jesus is my savior, but not my Lord. Christian-ish is where I see church as something that's encouraging, but not essential. Christian-ish is where I pray out of desperation. I don't pray out of communion. Christian-ish is where worship is music, not a lifestyle. Christian-ish. I wonder if some of us, when I go through these things and I said, salvation's free, but following Jesus will cost you something. I wonder if there's some of us where we would say, I don't know that I've had to leave anything behind. I don't know that I've had to change anything. I don't know that Jesus has ever contradicted me. I don't know that I've ever been challenged by scripture. Could it be that if following Jesus has not cost you something, if you've not had to leave something behind, if you've not had to change, could it be that maybe you've never really started following Jesus? Trust him for salvation, but he's not your Lord. Now, I want to make a distinction here because the reality is all of us in the room fall short. Man, I'm not perfect. I got some areas where I mess up. I miss the mark. Anybody else want to take the mic? <laughs> we, we, we've got some areas where like, okay, God, I know what your word says. Be honest, I'm struggling right now. I, I know what your word says about money, but sometimes I've got, I'm compulsive. I know what your word says about, you know, my body's a temple, but sometimes I like Oreos. I, I know what your word says, and I've, I've got some stuff in my life where I'm struggling. And here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not putting anybody under condemnation because if you're trying to follow Jesus and you're falling short, you're trying to follow Jesus and you fail, you just might be a disciple. Yeah. You know, we're looking at <laughs> talking about the disciples. We're looking at Peter. I mean, he was the ringleader of failing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what his thought of a good idea was? Cutting off somebody's ear to solve a problem. 
And you know he wasn't aiming for the ear. He went, and the guy ducked, and that's how he lost his ear. That was Peter. The disciples were always falling short, often doubted, typically didn't understand, fell asleep when they should have been praying. Sorry, if that's you, hey, you just might be a disciple. I'm not trying to say that following Jesus is about perfection. Progress, not perfection. Steps forward. You'll get tripped up, you'll make some mistakes. But I wanna make a distinction between Christian-ish and the imperfect Christian. Because see, the imperfect Christian knows I need God's grace. I've fallen short, I've messed up, I can't do it. I know what God says, I'm struggling, I've got some doubts, I'm doing my best, God, help me with the things that I don't get right. The imperfect Christian knows I need God's grace. That's you, you're in a good place. Christian-ish wants God's place. I know what the Bible says, I don't wanna do that. I know what the Bible says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna be the leader. I'm going to be the authority. God, I want you with me. I don't want to be under you. That's the difference between the imperfect Christian and Christian-ish. When we talk about being a disciple, we really, we're talking about how to live according to the Bible, to be a Christ follower is to live according to the Bible. But really, to live according to the Bible is to really learn how to die to yourself. I talked a lot about the word Christian. Interesting, it's actually only in the New Testament three times. First time is Acts, I think it's 11, 26. It says the disciples were first called Christians in Macedonia. And then it's later on in Acts. And then it's mentioned again in 1 Peter. Christian's not in the Bible that much. What you really see when in the writings in the New Testament, when they were referring to Christians, you see two words, disciple, which we looked at. The other one is saint. Look at Paul's writings to the saints in Jerusalem, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth. Saint. What's interesting about the word saint is that in the New Testament, you never see it in singular form. It's always plural. What's that mean? This is what it means. This is what it means to you. It's that you have to follow Jesus for yourself, but you can't follow him by yourself. It's a personal decision. You've got to leave some stuff behind. It is going to cost you something. But you can't do it by yourself. When God calls you to follow him, he calls you to follow him in the context of community. In fact, Jesus, he said this in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep, they know my voice. I know them. They follow me. Plural. We, we, we have to follow him in community. One of my favorite verses is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 it's the day of Pentecost. It's where the church is born. Peter, this guy we're looking at who failed so much, who was the first disciple and the ringleader, the first follower. He 
gets up, he preaches a sermon, says 3,000 people were, 3,000 people believed and were baptized. They placed their faith in Jesus, they became followers. And as it goes on, it kind of explains how the church was born and what they did. And towards the end of the chapter, it says this in Acts 2.47. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Don't say they just got saved and they went their way. No, they were added to the church, to the body, to the community. Literally, the word means gathering. God added to the gathering daily people who were being saved. So the application is, I tell you, God has called you to follow him in community. For, for you, for this, this body, I'll just tell you, I, I, I don't just want this to be a body of believers. I want this church to be a family of followers. We're following Jesus together. I'm not saying you're gonna get it right, get it perfect. I'll get messed up sometimes, get tripped up sometimes, we all do. That's why we need God's grace. But, but God, I'm, I'm submitted to your way. I'm following your way. You're in authority. What you say is what I'm going to follow. How you think about it is how I'm going to think about it. Your perspective is going to be my perspective. Your pattern is going to be my pattern. And maybe there's some challenges for me. Maybe I'm going to have to wrestle through this a little bit. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to cost something. I got to leave some stuff behind, but I'm going to follow. I'm going to trust you. 